Good morning, everyone. This week, we continue our conversation with Shania Smith. Shania is a first-generation college graduate who received a full scholarship to Drexel University. She also was a visiting scholar at Harvard Business School and now aims to close the wealth and opportunity gaps through her work in the fintech space. In this week's episode, Shania shares about her current experience at an NYU mindfulness program as well as her recent accomplishments of buying a home at age 24. We collectively discuss our meditation journeys and how we've applied those practices to our everyday lives in and outside of the workplace. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. I've never heard about the Bill Gates summer off thing, but something similar. I don't know if Google still does it anymore. But a while back when I read the book Originals and they talked about how Google has this thing called free, they call it Google Week. So what that means is uh, I think once a quarter, every Google employee is, they're not allowed to work for a week. That means for a week, they can do anything. They have to be productive and they have to work on some sort of a creative project except Google work. And during that uh, Google Week, a lot of their best ideas were born. So Gmail was a birth and a byproduct of Google Week. I think Google Hangout was another one, even though you could argue Google Hangout is pretty useless and it's not as great as Gmail is. But like a lot of brilliant ideas and byproducts were given birth during that Google week because like what all three of us are saying, it's often during the break, during the pause, during the off moments, uh, the best creativities and the best products usually happen because you have to recharge, you have to put a pause button, you have to recollect. And just like an analogy just popped into my mind as I'm listening to both of you guys talking about this is I'm assuming you have a MacBook. Like I know for a MacBook, at least most people don't turn off their MacBooks, period. They just either close the screen or just put it on sleep for like years. And I asked one of my friends, when was the last time you shut down, like actually put a power off on your MacBook? They said, oh, it's been like a year. These are the same people who complain about the longevity of their MacBooks. They're like, oh, I don't know why my MacBook dies within three years. I only bought this two years ago. Why is it? giving me a blue screen, then I ask them, well, you never shut down your computer. They've been on sleep, which is hibernation mode, but your (laughs) CPU, your, the engines are still running in the background, just more subtly. So if a computer like a MacBook requires their shutdown times, more fragile creatures like us humans, we definitely need to uh, be off more often than a computer because we're not robots. So I think that tells us that like we have to prioritize the rest of the mindfulness the breaks so that when we are on, we can even be more productive. And just to echo what you said, Americans, I think the capitalist society as a whole, we need to finally accept, like I think what your your, your mom taught you well is a radical acceptance piece. She didn't bullshit with you. She just said, look, Shania, this is the world. As a woman, as a ethnic minority woman, things are gonna be harder for you. You just have to accept the cards that were dealt. You just have to do what you can, which is, I think, what your mom instilled into you, which I think is powerful. 
Uh, on that same token, I think the corporate America has accepted that 40 hours or a certain amount of hours are not equate to your level of productivity. I learned this early on. So I used to be a management consultant when I was 21 before I took a career pivot and moved into the nonprofit sector. I used to slow down my productivity because like you would enter your flow state once in a while. And by the time you gain your consciousness, you've done eight hours of work in like three hours. And that would happen to me quite often. And then I learned early on during my first job as a consultant that if I tell my boss I completed my work too early, he would just give me more work. So I was like, wait a minute, this is a lose-lose fucking situation. Why would I be, why would I want to be hyperproductive? I'm only getting punished for if I'm doing what I look at all my uh, peers, they're taking their time. They're taking an hour lunch break. They're just shooting the shit and I'm just busting my ball. So I actually slow down my workload so that I won't be punished for being productive. Last thing I wanted to ask you is, have you seen the show Mine Explained on Netflix or Explained? They ex- oh, I actually think I have. Yeah. yeah, they explain different things. Like they have an episode on human minds. They have an episode on babies, on different things. They did an episode about corporate America culture. The question he asked, why do we make 40 hours? It was a decision that was made. And uh, I don't want to give you spoilers, but I know why it's 40 hours. And I think if you check out the episode, it will tell you it was 40 hours because back then people didn't want to work. So the corporate America as an entity had to find ways to not just incentivize, but also punish people because back then, like 200, 300 years ago, nobody wanted to work and nobody could be punished for not working. So he actually talks about how the capitalistic corporate America culture was created back when. So I think you'd be interested in that. Yeah, I'll watch it. That that makes a lot of sense. And it also makes me very sad because I'm like, we need to change things. Yeah, it's a very punitive uh, measure. And I feel like there's a lot of things in the, like the founding of police department. It was also punitive against the slaves back then. So I think a lot of our measures are rooted in that very racist or ignorant point of view back when years ago. But I think that's like a perfect segue to talk about your mindfulness program at NYU. Aiden's a coach and guided me onto the meditation mindfulness journey like two years ago now. It's been like two years. So we both been uh, consistently meditating almost on a daily basis uh, for the past two years. He's been longer, but for me uh, personally, two years. And just tell us about, because we can tell education is very important for you and self-education is something you're very proud of, which enables you to do many of the fascinating things you do, whether it's buying a home or landing all these amazing jobs in tech. But like, how did you find out about this program? And what made you, aside from your affirmation that, you know what, I want to dedicate 2021 uh, to focus on myself, like we talked about, but like, how did you first encounter the idea of mindfulness and just walk us through the process of joining this program and what you have learned so far? Yeah, sure. Happy to talk about that. And then Aiden would love to hear how you found yourself in it a few years ago. Because I feel like a few years ago, it was not as much of a discussion as it is now. But yeah, so for me, I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I was not someone who viewed myself as somebody who could meditate. The closest I would get to it would be like, you know, when I was doing yoga, which I really enjoyed, um, like the breathing exercises and stuff that you would do. But outside of that, I never like viewed myself as like, oh... Like I could do meditation and it it would be helpful for me. So that was the first thing I sort of had to get over. And honestly, how I got into it is kind of funny. It was, I moved to California, started working at LinkedIn and, you know, interestingly, like through a lot of my coworkers, 
they were all not all but a lot of them were were meditators like they were serious like seriously Mm. into meditation to the point that the program that I was in at LinkedIn I was in a cohort that we would you know uh you know even spend a couple of team meetings doing some meditation sessions so I had definitely an influence of you know, luckily people around me who had shared the benefits that they had with it. And I saw how serious they took it. That kind of like shifted my mindset from beforehand being like, I don't know, meditation doesn't really work for me. I don't think it'll really do anything like to instead being like, oh, I actually kind of like this. I should try and do this more and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I started to get into it from LinkedIn. And then how I found out about the program specifically with NYU is that so LinkedIn actually did a partnership and essentially sponsored employees to take part in it. So it's a essentially it's a 10 month program. It's entirely virtual. LinkedIn isn't the only company doing it. There are other people who have signed up either through their companies or just independently. And we essentially have um, coursework, quote unquote, coursework and like, you know, curriculum, you know, monthly and it's broken down. So um, we have different modules that we'll go through and every module will focus on a different sort of like area of mindfulness and different ways that you can kind of like apply your practice to your daily life how you can apply it to, you know, to work, to outside of work, things like that. And then we essentially have different faculty come in who have, um, you know, been working in the space for like decades. And many of them have worked with and coached top business leaders um, into finding their own sort of like mindfulness practice, because a lot of times they were very, they're working in very like um, stress and, you know, overwhelming sort of like work situations and environments. So that's been a really interesting sort of program for me to do because it has sort of required quote unquote me to meditate more often and to think about it more. And I think it is sort of like a muscle. Like once you start to do it, then you kind of, I started to actually notice that I started to crave it more. Um, Almost like comparable to when I first started working out. Like once you built the habit, I started to crave going to the gym and that's sort of what happened with, meditation specifically for me especially since I've been working from home like it's very easy to feel like you're not turning off because usually you turn off when you leave your office but now your office is in your home so it's like you don't it's really hard to like fully shut your your mind down or shut your brain down so that's where it's been really helpful for me um so far so yeah I really enjoy it so do you usually I guess meditate as you finish kind of like to segment your days or in the morning to prepare, like definitely want to hear about just outside of having a practice, what's like the biggest differences or impacts it's given for you? So I would say I'm still figuring out sort of what my like consistent practice will be or look like, but a lot of time it's built around like the coursework that I'm doing in a, in a particular week. The program is so good because they give us a new, you know, practice to do every day. So we have like, you know, recordings and things like that that are timed that are guided, that we can participate in. So yeah, that's been super helpful. I'm not sure if that answers your whole question, yeah, but... <laughs> no, totally. And I mean, on that note, any big speakers, or you said that there were a lot of people that like experts in this field, right, come in and kind of present this. Mm-hmm. Are there any, you know, stories or even just experiences that they've had that really kind of mm-hmm. struck home for you, like big takeaways from this course besides the, you know, obvious meditate more? Yeah, 
Oh, there's so many things, so many things that have been good. Like, I guess a couple things I can speak to in terms of, like, speakers that we had that have been interesting. So one was we had the CEO of Patagonia come, um, and she was really amazing because she talks about how when she got to the company, you know, frankly, the it was a very toxic, you know, work culture. People were unhappy. People were leaving the company at record numbers. It was kind of falling apart, and she kind of... Um, swooped in and I and I can't remember if she already had a you know sort of like mindfulness practice before getting there but she might have but definitely you know it, it amplified while she was at Patagonia and it allowed her to really become a much more like compassionate leader which flowed through the rest of the company and really impacted the culture because I really do feel like when you have leaders who prioritize it who speak openly about prioritizing your mental health and taking time to be still and you know, essentially people who, like leaders who tell you that, hey, work is not everything. Like being able to say that as like a CEO to your employees, like some people would never say that. Some CEOs would never say that to their employees because they're like, oh, what if I say that and everyone quits the next day? <laughs> but, you know, I think for her, she was really just trying to create a culture where people could understand like, you know, at the end of the day, like I want you guys to show up here as your best and fullest selves and you can't do that. You know what I mean? If you're not, you know, prioritizing the self and, and doing that like inner work. Um, so she was a really cool speaker. And we also early on actually had the um, one of the main participants from the Social Dilemma documentary that came out. So the I think his name was Tristan. I'm pretty sure that's his name. He's like redhead. He was the one doing the main one of the main dialogue with speakers throughout the documentary on Netflix. Um, so we had him come as well. And he was, of course, really interesting because he's now sort of like he was somebody who worked in tech and who has who has kind of witnessed the damaging effects of what has happened over the last 10 years there's been so much damage in just 10 years since the iphone came to instagram to all these other things um so he was he was really good and it was like not that long after i had watched it um so really mm. good conversation there as well yeah, that must have been a pretty cool experience for you, seeing like a celebrity and through this. Uh, I was just chuckling in my mind because I'm trying to envision what a mindfulness course will like. I, I'm just picturing a professor shows up and in a very hippie California voice, like, class, thanks for joining in. Let's start with a meditation. <laughs> so it's just like a very, I can't even comprehend that, but it's just like a, such a cool thing to talk about. Yeah. Because you talked about how you almost got hooked once you are able to experience the some tangible benefits of meditation. Yeah, so I used to pride myself for being a thinker because I would have all these incessant thoughts. And I thought that was a good thing because until you're introduced to mindfulness practices, you are utterly unaware of the fact that humans have zero influence over our thoughts. Zero. A lot of times we think we have free will. A lot of times we think we command what we think about. But more often than not, we do not have any control. We think we do, but it's an illusion. So I would experience uh, headaches once in a while just from having incessant thinkings, uh, especially if I'm already having a stressful day at work. Um, so I was able to realize the benefit of mindfulness practices within seven days. So I remember the first six days I did it. Uh, I think I did like a 15-minute guided meditation the first few months until I got a hangover and I started doing my own. Um, during that time, I remember I couldn't really feel anything. I wasn't really sure what's the point of doing this, just sitting there trying to eliminate your noises. And on the seventh day, I remember I was like, wow, I just spent my entire day. Uh, I looked at my clock. It was like eight o'clock at night. 
I had no headaches. I felt amazing. My day went so much smoother than it usually does. And I realized it just really, truly optimizes my day-to-day functionalities. And what you talked about, when you first felt the benefit of meditation, you start craving it more like your exercise. Because I could tell you're someone who's into fitness, who's into morning routines. I could tell you're very type A. And what I used to tell people, because you know, once I realized how profound and life-changing meditation practices is, and I think there is a difference between meditative practices and meditation, there are overlapping benefits, but it's not the same. Uh, but I was telling people because I want to share the joy. I want to share the good news because to me, it was like so life-changing. I was like, this meditation is incredible. And then you talked about how you started craving like the exercise. So what I told people is it's like an exercise for your mind because you often have to work out and exercise your physical aspect, your physical self. So doesn't it also make sense to exercise your mind? And oftentimes mind has a lot more importance. And I think mind is more important to your body. So if you're going to take care of your body, I think it also makes sense. It will benefit you if you also work out your mind. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of the, I would say like majority of the, of the curriculum is actually just around like how to live a more fulfilled life. Um, and then a couple of the modules have been, you know, how to apply it in terms of when you have a stressful work environment or team or manager or things like that. But most of it is just like, you know, really finding a way to fulfillment. So yeah, it's really interesting. And Aiden, I think you were going to say how you got into it. Cause I'm interested. You were the yeah, OG. <laughs> a little bit. I want to hear about, you know, what you're learning fulfillment wise. Cause I think this all kind of ties together that fulfillment piece, or rather I think meditation is almost just a bridge to that fulfillment. And that was really a way that I kind of got introduced to it is just, it's not as hard as everyone thinks. I think whether it's cultural programming or just like the way that mindfulness and meditation is introduced, you can only like do it with a bunch of yogis and you're sitting in an uncomfortable position. Like I think there's just a lot of stigma surrounding meditation that doesn't exactly fit. Uh, One of the books that I read that introduced me to is Stress Less, Accomplish More by Emily Fletcher. And that was kind of my almanac to learning this and she introduces the idea that all that meditation means is to become aware of so even if you're sitting there thinking if you become aware of the fact that you're thinking then you're meditating correctly so I kind of realized that I was just like going through that cycle of judging myself for thinking and then saying I'm bad at meditating and then stop meditating so really just realizing that it's that practice of kind of becoming aware of thinking and that you know it's just an ongoing process like there's even experiences now where I'm still thinking during meditation, but I know that that's kind of the practice. So that was kind of the first step is just realizing how much easier it is than everyone expects it to be, taking it off of that pedestal. And then really, I was almost, again, this necessity is the mother of innovation idea. I had to. So when uh, I alluded to it, I went on internship my senior year uh, and worked for a public accounting company. And I showed up week one and it was just nothing like I had ever expected. They were in like peak busy season, eating takeout three times a day. Just like my manager would drink like seven cups of coffee before noon. It was like some next level stuff that I just could not even comprehend or even imagine when I got there. So I kind of realized, you know, it came down to like a Google search of like how to reduce stress or how <laughs> how to survive public accounting busy season, just like things like that. And because I was living with my parents while all my friends were at college, I kind of stumbled into a lot of the mindfulness, personal development podcasts and YouTube channels. Like that comes down to the blessing of technology and social media right now. But it was really becoming aware of all of those things. And then 
honestly self-education through. So it's definitely been an ongoing process, but because there's so many leaders talking about it and it, like you said, it's coming into the picture with entrepreneurship, I always joke that I'd rather miss my shower than my morning meditation because like it's just all like everything goes to shit I feel if I skip a meditation it's not as much what it does for me but it's when I skip it's like brushing your teeth you know you don't notice when you do but you definitely notice when you don't that's how I kind of see meditation so um, what have you seen on the fulfillment side kind of using that as a baseline because that was one of the biggest things that came up for me is that was a baseline, right? And then the mindfulness allows me to be more present in conversations or actually find flow state when I'm like doing some random workbook kind of thing. So anything that came up from that course or even just in your personal experience? I think like one one big thing I kind of took away, I was like pulling up because I, I had taken some really interesting notes, but I think that like one of the conversations that we had as part of the course was around, you know, being able to like really sort of, it's what you were saying before, be present and like check in with yourself and sort of to the, to the degree that like life moves fast. Right. And so like, yeah. I think it's really easy to get kind of caught up, which is what often happens. And like the next thing, the next job, the next dollar, the next reward, like all of these things. And I think, you know, it's really just about being able to kind of like, like stop, take a pause, like check in with different things. Like, are you happy? Do you feel fulfilled in what you're doing? Are the things that you're doing, are they, you know, aligning to your values and your life? And like all of these things that you really don't ever ask yourself until you ask yourself, like, because you're so focused on, okay, I need to go to work. I need to do my tasks for the day. I need to meet with my manager and then that's it, and then, like, get my promotion. Our lives become so, you know, driven by that. Or even if you're an entrepreneur, same thing happens. Like, you know, being – when I was working on Envira, that was one of the most stressful times of my life. And it was because when you're an entrepreneur, you're always focused on the next thing. Like, okay, well, what's the next goal that we have? What's the next milestone? Who do we need to meet with next? How can we do that? Like, everything was always, like, future, when you're always thinking about the future, you can never really be like appreciative of where you're at right now. It's like you're, it's like a never ending like chase. So that was like a big thing for me around just taking a moment to like be still, taking a moment to check in and reassess like, you know, is the thing that I'm doing now, working on now, building now, what I want to be doing? If not, you know, how can I like course correct? And I think, you know, that's really how you can make sure that you don't end up like you know the, like there have been like like you know there's always like that movie where somebody like works like work works in a career and they wake up like 40 years later and they're like I hate my life like how did I get here that's like what I don't want to happen like you know like so I think that's just me trying to I would say my mindfulness practice also kind of stemmed from being diligent about sort of trying to have some uh you know influence in terms of like where my life is gonna go but not in an obsessive way. Like, again, in a way that is, like, if I know that, we talked about this earlier, like, preparation. Like, I know that if I do these things now, they're good for me. And they're going to, like, I'll reap the benefit and the rewards later versus, like, not doing them. So that's just been a big thing for me. It's just, like, not focusing so much on what I need to do next, where I want to be, where I'm trying to get to or go, but just being, like, still and present. Have you tried to, so when I found out about the benefits and how amazing 
uh, meditation practice for me has been I try to tell everyone because that's what you do right and then obviously I become too imposing and I'd sound like this shady salesman trying to pitch about <laughs> meditation but what do I have to gain from selling you meditation I'm not making commission I'm not making a cut I was trying to better your life uh, have you tried to sell it or pitch it to the people you care about after you were able to personally reap so much benefits from this practice yeah, yeah, I would say the first main person, of course, was my mom. She has been, like, I've witnessed her be very stressed at times and very overwhelmed and different things like that. And I do feel like, you know, meditation and especially in, like, the Black and Latino community, like, we're not meditators, I should say. You know, it's not, I've never seen anyone in my family meditate. That's not sort of a thing that you do. Almost, like, in the same way that, like, you know, there's a big gap or level of acceptance with like therapy, for example, like it's just not, we just don't do it. We just almost to a detriment, like, you know, pride ourselves in just like pushing through and go, go, go and like get to the next thing. So when I started to really feel the benefits from it, when she would have a tough day at work, I would literally tell her like, you need to meditate. <laughs> a little, it's a little forceful, it's a little spicy, but, or she might like, you know, get off work, have a bad day unintentionally unload some stuff and just vent frankly and i'll be like i'm sorry like i don't have space for this right now like i just finished meditating and i'm like in a you almost feel like you're floating low you feel really good you know what i mean i'm like i can't i just finished like i'm just in a good vibe and energy like i think you should really try to meditate because then you can feel like me so i would say she's the one i've been kind of selling it to the most and then outside of that um now that i work at a new company i'm not at linkedin anymore the culture is different like i said like when i was at linkedin my whole team was very open to meditation we would do it together at team meetings like this is like a group of like 20 people whereas now at carta we're not meditating together they might be independently like some people might be but I, you know I, I try and speak openly about oh i went to the gym this morning and oh i meditated on this or whatever like just speaking like freely about that i feel like makes a difference just to let people know like oh they're doing this thing like maybe i should try it type of situation that's one of the things that i've noticed uh, the most is kind of just like the leading by example of it it's like you can't force people to eat healthier to go work out but like when they're ready I hope that they know that I'm gonna like resource available to answer their questions like I'm happy to handhold anyone that needs to like learn how to meditate but I'm not gonna like tell them that they should do anything because people don't like getting shoulded on is like the big really? setting you know so that's one of the things I've been exploring a lot and on the idea of meditation and kind of like the power of the present, one of the books that was a big resource for me was The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And he just puts it down so simply. He's like, anything in the past is a depressive like idea or you're only depressed when you're thinking in the past. You're only anxious when you're thinking in the future. You're only truly happy and still when you're in the present, which is just such like a three-way framework of thinking about the thing that kind of frame the way I think about all of it because I definitely have depressive and anxious tendencies so really by focusing on the moment and that doesn't even have to be like deep breathing it could be focusing on the moment of drinking coffee or focusing on the moment of writing a letter to someone or something like whatever it is just being there has been exceptionally helpful um, and that's just from the stress perspective like the present moment but I think the future implications of mindfulness is kind of where I'd like to go next and I'm curious for your thoughts around of the ideas of intuition and conscious capitalism coming to a surface. I know 
John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, really vouches for the conscious capitalism, kind of doing right for everybody, trying to create win-win-win relationships. And even there's a guy named Vishen Lakiani who talks about intuition in business. So basically, before making a big decision, he'll go sit and meditate for a half hour to make sure that he's like in tune, more or less, or like blissed out, as I think we've referred it as, but to make those decisions. So obviously, we've talked a lot about the present moment and the like de-stressing benefits of it. But have you noticed or what would you speculate around kind of those future implications of it? Do you notice yourself making decisions in a different way or even just how you show up externally to positive or no stress? Yeah, I definitely think those are both really interesting points. Um, I guess I'll talk about the intuition piece first. Like one of the reasons why the, the course I'm taking, like the program that I'm in right now is so interesting. They are, you know, really teachers in the program essentially are talking a lot about how, you know, leaders have been able to make more effective decisions because of their mindfulness practice. And they didn't start mindfulness for that reason, but they become, you know, better business leaders and more compassionate. Like that's the biggest you know, thing is like compassion, compassionate leaders as a result of it, because you can get sort of so tied up, especially with the way that capitalism works. It's not designed for compassion. Like it's really designed for, you know, driving shareholder satisfaction and making as much money as possible and growing as fast as possible and all of those things which work uh, against mindfulness and work against you know, really being able to like focus on what is important. So I think that, you know, for 100%, you're able to be more intuitive, 100%, you're able to be more conscious because you're taking the moment to to stop and pause and, and reflect. And that's something that I've been just like focusing on again more now because life goes fast. So I'm, I feel like I'm way more cognizant of checking in with myself now and often, you know, way more often to, to think about, okay, you know, what are the things I'm doing right now that I enjoy? What are the things that I don't enjoy? And just like having that check-in so that way when I am making decisions moving forward, I'm not making it from a place of like fear or worry or, you know, expectations of what I should do. I'm already, you know, I already have an understanding of, of what's important to me and things like that. So yeah, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think you said it brilliantly because if I were to able to extract a single benefit about the mindfulness practices or meditation, it's definitely the stillness. It's like maybe you have a big speech to give. Maybe you have a big public speaking ready. You're about to go on the stage and give a speech. Like what Aiden talked about, the concept of anxiety and stress are often rooted in the past or the future. So if you have a positive expectations of how you're going to deliver that speech, what's the feeling you're feeling in your gut? It's excitement. Right, you're excited, you feel the adrenaline rushing, the serotonin, and the excitement happens because you're being very present. Because you're not really worried about the how it could go or how it could go, you're only focusing on the now and then then, and you're ready to go on stage and to deliver whatever speech you're about to give. Whereas if you're too worried about the future and trying to think, oh, how is the speech gonna go? How are people gonna perceive this speech? Am I gonna be criticized? Then you're gonna be on the anxiety spectrum and you're inevitably going to be shifted towards uh, how it should go, how it could go, how it will go, which is a rooted in the future. So the ability to be able to stay still is probably a superpower. 
and I've had a couple of friends ask me about how we do our podcast and they ask, I had a friend who is thinking about starting his own podcast because I think this is a cool platform to captivate all these conversations. And he asked me, how do we do our questions? And I told him, we don't prepare questions. We do the, the guest questionnaire, trying to gauge your context before the call. But for the actual episode, we don't do any questions. So he said, how do you come up with the questions? And I just told him by being still and by being present and by eliminating my desire to talk over the guest or by eliminating the talking points in my mind, but let them go and literally just accept the conversation as it is. Literally, we never run out of questions to ask because they always come up by being present. My friend, he didn't understand what I was saying. He was like, oh, you're just, you don't want to tell us your secret ingredients. You don't want to give away your secret trade. I was like, you don't know what you don't know. That's why hopefully with these conversations, we can help destigmatize the prevalence and the importance of having some sort of a mindfulness practices. Because I do personally believe it is the only way to slow down the fastness of life. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think the big idea that I always come back to is just becoming aware of both on the micro of like my own thoughts, but it really helps you become aware of whatever you're thinking or whatever you're feeling about a certain thing. I think you mentioned that it has helped you get clear on your values and where you want to go in life and really given clarity. And that's kind of the biggest thing for me. I think in change, awareness is often the first step. Right. So you have to become aware of the thing that you want to change before you can actually change it. So after awareness comes acceptance, you have to accept that thing that you become aware of. And then only after awareness and acceptance can you act and actually put that into action. So typically my meditation practice is the first step of creating any change. I can't change and act on anything if I'm not aware of it first. And that's ultimately where my meditation practice comes in, getting clear on where I am, how I feel about those specific things, and then ultimately where I want to go. So it's kind of like my step one, like that foundation bedrock kind of thing that then bridges into all different areas, you know, and it's not just for business, not just for relationships or fitness, but really just like the bedrock of how I feel about things. And the one thing that I have recently started doing since the new year that I want to mention that you guys might be curious about is after the mindfulness session, I'll go and journal for anywhere from five to 20 minutes. And really just like using that as like a clearing space for anything that comes up. So maybe it's something I'm anxious about and just like throwing it up there. So it like clears out my mind that helps especially, or if there's something that I like need to think through and like, Hey, should I do this or should I do that? But really putting that out there onto the page then creates space in me. Awareness piece is meditation. The acceptance piece is the journaling. And then when I get up and go do the day, that's then the action piece. So that's kind of like, you know, a framework that I just kind of spoke out the first time, but it's been working really well for me and kind of how I've been internalizing a lot of this stuff. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So let's pivot a little bit into one of your most recent accomplishments, which is buying a house at such a young age, which is a huge accomplishment. Definitely congrats there. And I think that must speak to a lot of the knowledge you've learned about personal finance. I was wondering if you could just walk us through that journey a little bit, kind of what it felt like to buy a house at such a young age and really the process of saving money, personal finance, just what does that all mean to you? I think it was definitely a big moment for me that was also, it was another moment of like preparation. I think I have indirectly and directly prepared for that milestone for many years now. And I, and I think it kind of started like, you know, while I was in drugstore, I started to get these co-op experiences paid and started to make, you know, good money. 
And because I went to college for free, I was, you know, able to save a, a good deal of it. And when I was saving that money, I wasn't necessarily saving it for something uh, in particular. Like I wasn't necessarily saving it for a house, but I was like, you know, saving my money. And that was the first thing I kind of did and, and like prioritized. You know, I think I had to, once I started to accumulate a, a certain amount of money, I started to sort of ask questions around like, huh, okay, I have this money now, like, what should I do with it outside of just, like, shopping? And I, I quickly kind of grew bored. Like, you know, I went through I went through a little shopping craze and a sneaker phase, but I quickly kind of realized, like, that just wasn't, like, the fulfilling way for me to spend money. Like, some people like to make money, and then they like to spend it and, like, spoil it on themselves. And, like, that's 100% valid, but for me, I just, like, that wasn't doing anything for me. Essentially, I really got into like the investing piece just in general. I, I would say like in public markets, um, the summer that I did the Harvard program, so that was 2018. It was like my junior year. I think I had already done like two paid co-ops. So, and I had basically got to meet with other students from all around the country who were all at Harvard for a week. And one of the big things that was brought up that was a discussion was around like investing and some people were much further along than others and I just really leaned into that conversation learning more about it like I didn't study finance or anything like that in college which if I had I guess that would have been my first like introduction to it and so I really ended up doing a lot of the independent learning on my own because I didn't have anyone again like in my family who could tell me what to do with my money there were a lot of the you know, dynamic has, it was a very sort of like survival based, like, you know, get the money that we need, pay the things that we need to pay. And then we'll have enough for like the next thing. Like that was sort of the, I guess, like rhetoric. So, you know, my mom also had both of her kids by the time that she was 23. I'm 24 now. So, you know, my entire life is already different from my mom's and other people in my family. You know, I don't say that in a bad way. It's just like a, it's just a thing that I had to recognize. Like, okay, my life is different. And so with this difference, like with this privilege that I've been afforded in other ways, like I need to figure out sort of how to, what to do with it. Like I said before, like I was making more money than anyone in my family had ever made. So I didn't really have anyone to go to to say like, oh, okay, it's like, what do you do with your extra money? Like, what do, what do you think I should do with my extra money in my family? Like I couldn't have that conversation in my family because it's like, what extra money like <laughs> like <laughs> vacation or like but it wasn't like you know again I had like this excess cash so did the program at Harvard so that's kind of what got me started and you know interested in like investing in like the public market and like through stocks and stuff like that did some research on like robo advisors which I don't know if you guys are familiar but essentially are just like they'll you can give them money and they um, will invest your money for you based on your risk level they've got it pretty down packed because it's already well known that even most of the people who work on Wall Street use systems and processes like they're it's all technology based now anyway. Um, so that's kind of how I started to dabble. And then the real estate thing came about, interestingly enough, when I had moved to California, because when I was working at the EV charging startup, one of the industries that we worked in was real estate. So a lot of the sort of like day to day like exposure and, and like work that we were doing, like our direct partners were these really big real estate investment trusts that own 90% of the commercial real estate in the United States. And that was like kind of mind blowing to me. Like I'm like, they, these very small percentage of people and companies own like everything. 
and I didn't own any real estate at the time. Um, I wasn't inheriting any real estate or anything like that at the time. And I started to really just lean into a little bit more like the power of real estate. So that was the one thing about that sort of co-op experience. And then also just living in California, I was like, oh my God, this house here in California, I could buy like five of these in Philadelphia for the same price. <laughs> like that was also another awakening for me. So when I left, when I was sort of preparing to leave California to come back to Philly to do my senior year and graduate, I was like, I got to buy real estate ASAP, essentially is what happened. So that was sort of the evolution of, you know, both of those things. And outside of that, it was connecting with a couple of people who were in a better spot than me. So like meeting some of those people at Harvard, that was helpful. But most of the work came through me prioritizing it myself. And I think that's a really important thing that, you know, people have to recognize and be able to do is like, Unfortunately, they do not teach us about personal finance in high school or college or anything like that in terms of, you know, preparing yourself for how to make your money work for you. So I kind of like really dove into it almost in the same way that I dove into like learning about startups and entrepreneurship and tech. Usually what I do, I dive into something, I learn about it a little obsessively <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I, I was like learning about investing for, you know, almost a year before I really started to like do it more, you know, quote unquote seriously to the point now that I'm like comfortable with it. I understand the decisions I'm making. I understand what type of investor I am. Cause that's, that was a big piece for me to like figuring out what type of uh, investor that I was going to be in the market and sticking to my, what I do well and what, you know, what my risk level is and things like that. And not like, I'm not someone who looks at someone else and like, oh, they did this. I'm going to go do the same thing because I might not be the same type of investor as they are. So it was, again, another moment of like preparation years of I had done the work to prepare myself and to be ready for once the opportunity was there, then I just like move forward with it. So, yeah, I want to dissect your psyche a little bit. The moment you realize now you're managing and making more money and assets than your family has ever made, in particular, your, your mom. And this moment you realized you had the power and the affordability to buy this, your new first land property, real estate, AKA your new home. Uh, did you feel more of a sense of power, like empowerment, being the first ever from your family to not only go to college, graduate from college, but also be the first one to start your business and be the first one in your family to purchase a house? Did you feel more empowerment through that decision making or did you feel more responsible for now that you have this because, you know, with new power comes with new responsibilities. I'm curious to what your internal dialogue, your internal thought process was. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because I definitely feel like kind of was saying before, like I had to learn a lot of it on my own. I don't believe that I was the only one responsible for getting to the point that I am now, even though like no one really directly told me, like, do this with your money or buy this thing or like this would be good for you to do. I learned a lot from lessons. I wouldn't call them mistakes, but like the lessons that my family taught me. So that was my biggest benefit. Like that's how I've been able to put myself in the position that I am now. That's how I feel about anything that I've been able to do positively. It's because I've learned from the mistakes of others. So I can't really take all of the credit. And, and But that does empower me because I feel like you mentioned this earlier, like everything has to happen for a reason. I've noticed, you know, different blessings that I've come across in my life have been a direct result of other decisions that have been made, which at the time 
may not have felt great or may not have been the best or whatever. It might have been a sucky situation that I was in. But had those things not happened, I literally would not have been able to get the next opportunity or the, the you know, the subsequent events that happened in my life. They, it just would not have happened. So I feel like that's my perspective on anything that I've been able to do right now at, you know, at the age of 24 is like I was able to learn. I paid attention so that that's really what is most empowering for me yeah it's not as much of like a sob story it's more like okay yeah those things happen and like there have been these disadvantages in my family and there have been you know these different challenges in terms of you know not being able to really build wealth across generations like there has been a lot of poverty in my family and things like that but I now take all of that and I'm making sure I'm trying to make sure that you know, I'm doing the best that I can moving forward and now trying to help other people in my family. I'm teaching my little cousin right now. I actually opened up like an investment account for her and she's 18 and I'm like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's more so like a passing of the baton, like, because I know that I can coach her, you know, even at an earlier age so she doesn't have to learn all of it alone. So yeah, it's kind of like a never ending growth chain or cycle. Yeah, that's a powerful mindset, and it almost comes full circle with a lot of the stuff we talked about educationally, and that's like making the most of whatever situation it may be, both the positives and the negatives. Uh, there's an old parable that I always come back to, and it's the idea of a guy who breaks his foot, and then everyone's like, oh man, that sucks so much, are you okay? Mm. And he's like, well, I don't know if it sucks, like, it is as it is, like, are you sure that it stinks? And then, you know, the next day he gets drafted, and because he has a broken foot, he doesn't have to go, and they're like... You know, man, that so stinks. He's like, are you sure? So it's like that idea that every situation can have positives and negatives. It's just not judging it for what it is, which reminds me of a lot of the stuff you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of on this mindset kind of idea, one of the questions that we always like to ask our guests is if you had a mentorship program for people in college, slightly after college, what would you impart advice on them? Just big lessons that as they're entering the workforce or life in general, what mm-hmm. advice would you like to leave your mentees with? Just a few coloring on for that question because we are being hyper-intentional about the guests we're interviewing to honor and celebrate the Black History Month. I want you to cater the advices more specifically towards your community mm-hmm. uh, because of the theme of this month's episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess if I was to, to design a mentorship program... Hmm. It would be twofold because only right. So one thing, the first part would be about mindset and specifically in regards to, I think that there are so many things that are impacting the black community right now, the minority community. And I think that making sure that, you know, are really at a place like I've, I've naturally, since I was young, I've been the type of person who is very, you kind of said earlier, I'm a little type A. I have a goal. I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to do this thing. You know, this is what's going to happen. And I think there is a lot to be said about having that sort of like belief in yourself and having that mindset that you can do the thing that you want to do, even if nobody you know is doing it or, you know, having creating the experience of the life that you want to have, even if you don't know anyone who's doing that. So that would be my first part is like work on your mindset, like focusing on how you can create a mindset that is resilient, that is, you know, I hate to use the other word, but like mindful of, you know, the life that you want to live. And that's how you can really achieve true happiness. That would would be the first part. The second part would be about money. (laughs) (laughs) 
And to kind of what we were just talking about before, because, you know, I think that one of the reasons I, I came and started working at Carta was because they are, you know, really pushing the conversation forward around the wealth gap, specifically in regards to ownership and equity and things like that. That is not a conversation that's happening enough historically has happened enough it's happening more now but i still think that people are are focused on like okay how can i make money versus like okay make money but then you want to make sure that you're investing it and doing these other things with that money like not just make money so i feel like that's what the other part of the of the mentorship program will be on is like let's just create a better relationship with money a healthier relationship with money a relationship that is not focused on just survival because i understand what that is like but more so on what money can allow you to do if you're a good steward of it and and again attaching that to your mindset and things like that so those would be the two things yeah great advices and i think ultimately that is what this month is about we want to not just put you guys through some exposure to tell your stories because i think all our voices matter especially the more oppressed voices like yours I think definitely matters. And that's what privilege is. Like for you, you didn't have the privilege of the financial backing of your family so that when you had issues or troubles or concerns related to what do I do with this money now, you couldn't seek help from your family because they've never been there. But for a lot of folks who their parents have some 401k, Roth IRA, or they have some sort of investment, like when you look up, there's support systems left and right. And when you have that privilege, Unless you grew up without that privilege, you will never know and you're unaware and you don't have that mindfulness that what makes you different from a family like yours or family like other people, right? Like you had to go through self-education because family education wasn't an option. Um, So I think that's our intention with this episode and the remaining episode this month is to tell people that different people have different obstacles overcome. And I think you, especially as a Latina and slash black woman, you had to exert three times the effort as the men had to, or as a white man had to, or as even myself, uh, Asian Americans, we are a POC or people of color, but we're definitely in terms of the privilege spectrum, we're definitely more lenient towards a white privilege aspect because we tend to get whitewashed and a lot of white counterparts view us more closely assimilated towards them than the other people. So uh, people like me who grew up with that privilege of my mom who had investment, who was a successful business owner, I didn't have to go through the same obstacles that she had to go through. We're not saying it's impossible, but it's just the innate nature of privilege or the lack of that it forces you to go through more hurdles. And that's what I often tell my clients. I work with all female clients and I definitely basically help a lot of my clients trying to secure jobs in healthcare settings. And the first thing I tell them once I have that rapport, once I have that connection, and once I have the relationship building, I always tell my clients very openly that the fact that you're born as an African-American and the fact that you're born as an African-American woman, you're dealing with three times the adversities as a white man have to go through or as a white woman have to go through or even as an Asian man like myself have to go through. And that's just facts. That's just the reality. And you have to accept that reality just like how your mom instilled radical acceptance in you early on. And you just have to do what you can with the assets that's given to you. So I think your advice is of personal finance and the money and mindset hopefully should carry enough weight. And hopefully 
it shows more people that the privilege is definitely a thing, but it's still very much possible to make things and make the life you're proud of living even without the privilege piece. So with that being said, uh, we want to wrap up this week's episode by asking you the one final question. Uh, with the ethos of our platform and the name, we want to challenge you as the guest of this week to discover more something about in your respective personal life, maybe your finance life or your work. And we want to toss the baton and the mic to you and for you to challenge our listeners. Yeah, that's a good one. I think I'm going to, you know, personally try and challenge myself with finding, you know, more ways this year to just give back more. I think that there's a, you know, a reoccurring conversation in the black community and, and minority community specifically around like people kind of get to where they um, want to be or need to be and then they forget like to reach back. And so I feel like that's a challenge that I'm, you know, sort of giving to myself is finding ways to give back more often and rethinking what that can look like and rethinking how I can do that with the privilege that I have and with the job that I have in the industry that I work in. I feel like there's a, there's a lot that I can be doing. Um, so that's the challenge for myself. And then I guess the challenge for everyone else is I think just to, you know, continue to lean, lean into the conversation that's continuing to happen around, you know, the inequality in the United States around race in the United States and not to feel with cancel culture, people are scared now to talk about stuff. And I think that while it is intimidating, I think you just have to lean forward with openness and curiosity and like, you know, you might get some things wrong. You might ask some questions that aren't right, but that's the only way that you're going to grow. Um, but I feel like that's where the most growth can happen is when people lean into the conversation that's happening, lean into the privilege that they have, because we all have privilege. I have privilege as well, being college educated and having the job that I have and stuff like that. And so just lean into what your privilege is, lean into what you can kind of do and then actually do something about it. Absolutely. Yeah, great advice. And I'd love to echo kind of a lot of the things that you said, leading with service and leaning into those difficult conversations. Uh, that's ultimately what allowed us to start this podcast at the end of the day. Although we didn't dive into full discussion around racial inequality, I think we touched on a lot of those inner workings and complexities. And I really hope that your story does shine a light on what is possible with that resilient attitude and hard work. So we really appreciate you sharing all your stories and wisdom with us. Would you be able to tell our listeners about how they can connect with you or check you out on social media, kind of see what you're up to in the everyday? Instagram, Twitter, I'm at Shine Smith Co. So it's my first last name, C-O. And then I also have, I'm going to plug, I have a newsletter. It's called Accountability in Me. So I'm basically sharing different ways that I keep myself accountable, tips, tricks, stories. I talked about mindfulness in one, meditation in one. So you can subscribe to that newsletter in my bio on Instagram. So yeah, that's what I'll plug. Yeah, we will put all the information in the episode notes below so that everyone could check out Shania's page. Because like I said, I do, uh, we were being very intentional about how we selected our guests for this month episode release. And just from everything we've heard about you during our off the mic conversations, we knew you came with so much, uh, such a wide array of experiences and you've accomplished so much that we really wanted to honor your story and use you as one of our many vehicles this month to hopefully empower some of our listeners. 
really appreciate your time on this Sunday afternoon with us. And to all the listeners, we really appreciate you guys joining us this week to continue to discover more something about. If you have made it to this far, thank you for listening. And as always, till next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.